You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh. 24 is the gateway to heroic salvation. And I'm Ari. And it's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice you just didn't take. And who would have thought? It figures. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, Q-Who and Samaritan Snare. But first, um... There's a lot of memes going on about Morbius on Twitter, I've noticed. <laughs> so many memes. It, it was a movie I was never going to see. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's dumb. I don't like Jared Leto. Actually, I have uh-uh. a story about Jared Leto, I should tell. But it seems like the internet has just coalesced to, uh, I don't know, like Morbius has kind of taken on like a, a Jeb Bush meme quality to it, where everyone's just like, yes, it's going to go like a trillion dollars. <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> yeah, I actually, like, there's that 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 famous photo of Jeb Bush with his arms spread wide, and it's usually like overlaid on like a, a 50 state uh, electoral sweep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but somebody took that pose of him and then just put Morbius's head on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard that they're calling it the Morbius sweep, and then people are showing pictures of empty theaters. Now, look, I used to like Jared Leto. I thought he was kind of cool. Like, he was the kid from my so-called life that I had a crush on, and he was in a cool band. Was he the the kid who couldn't read in my so-called life? Oh, I don't remember the plot of that movie, or that show at all. He was just the cute boyfriend guy that she was interested in. Yeah. And then he was, you know, he had a cool band. Like, I liked his band for a while, back when liking that kind of music was appropriate to my age. And, (laughs) um, like, I don't know. I thought he was cool. And then he started being a real creep to people, like, sending used condoms to Margot Robbie and stuff like that, you know? Like, yeah. I, I and don't know. And now it turns out he's got, like, his own, like, fire festival-style sex island that he's, like, running a cult or something. What? Yeah, no, I had no, not I, heard about this. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> looked into it. I just, this is just, like, surface-level stuff that I've seen. But, um, I actually have a funny story about Jared Leto. A friend of mine, she, uh, never liked him, but she went to a 30 Seconds to Mars concert, like, 15 years ago. Yeah, back uh, because, when I was into them too. <laughs> right. Because she wanted to see what one of the other bands playing there. And she thought that Jared Leno was way too skinny. And so like after the sh- after the uh the show when they're like coming out and everyone's waiting to to go and meet them, she had picked up like um a hamburger from McDonald's across the street or something. And as soon as she saw him, she was like, he had a cheeseburger skinny and threw it at him and it hit him. And he ran straight into his trailer. Oh no. And <laughs> that's not the end of the story. Oh no. Okay. Because her boyfriend, a couple of years later, got a backstage pass to some event where 30 seconds was playing. And he didn't hang out specifically with them, but he was hanging out with one of the other bands. And he mentioned that story. Uh, where he's like, yeah, a couple years ago, my girlfriend threw a cheeseburger at him. And they're like, you know that girl? He hasn't shut up about it the whole time. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I guess Jared Leto's not used to having cheeseburgers thrown at him. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're both not going to see Morbius anytime right. soon because vampires are done and who cares? Um What's the worst comic book movie out there, you think? The the worst one that I have seen has got to be Spawn. Oh, that was pretty bad. It was atrocious. I liked it at the time, though. I really did. Look, I watched that movie at a time where I liked every movie that I saw because I did not have (laughs) a a media palette. And even then I could recognize, oh, this is dog shit. Like, I watched it with my brother and he like looked at me and goes, good movie with a thumbs up. And I'm like, what? No. And he just like looked confused at me. Like, what what do you mean? I'm like, dude, no, the, the plot was... St- 
stupid, convoluted, atrocious. The CGI, even for the time, was the CGI was super bad. bad. I'm trying to remember what I liked about it. And you know what I think I liked about it? The action figures. Because McFarlane did the action figures for it, oh, and the I movie. had a spawn action figure at some point. Yeah, like no, the I had one too because I worked at a game store at the time, and I thought it was so cool. So I think I just automatically decided I liked the movie because I liked the figures. Well, and McFarlane does really great character design. Like I, I've always enjoyed his his artwork. I mean, he's yeah. the one who gave Spider Man the the giant eyes. Um, mm-hmm. That that was his style. Uh, he he has a very and he's the the, the uh, ownership over who created Venom is complicated, but he did draw Venom as he is the first time. So he like is, created what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I like him. Um, I just and that's why I went and saw the movie, because I'd read some Spawn comic books and I thought, oh, this is cool and kind of edgy. And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, this is stupid. And, and I never want to see it again. I like John Leguizamo because of um, Romeo and Juliet. So that was the reason I saw it, if I remember correctly, because I see movies for one actor sometimes. John Leguizamo, he's the only redeeming quality in that movie. He he does a great job. Like, that must have been hell Who on me. Spawn? Knees. Spawn, I don't even remember the <laughs> who the actor was. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking that first or not the first Fantastic Four, Michael but Michael J. Sec- White. Oh, see, I don't even recognize that name, so that yeah. must have killed his career. Um, <laughs> the second Fantastic Four movie, the one with Jessica Alba and well, Captain America. Uh I mean they there were two with those. Uh there was there was a nineteen ninety four Fantastic Four movie that never got released. They just right. made it to keep onto the rights, but then they made two in the two thousands with uh um yeah, with Jessica Alba so and Captain America. So the first one was okay. Like, I mean it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It was seen, a little hokey. It was but, hokey, like, there was a lot of it I didn't like, but it wasn't as bad as the second one. I remember barely even making it through Rise of the Silver Surfer, and I was <laughs> in the theater, so I really, really had a hard time not wanting to stay and just get up and leave, and I was with a bunch of people. Uh-huh. But I asked my husband this question, and he said Van Helsing. <laughs> That's actually a good one, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I watched about 20 minutes of that movie, and then I fell asleep. So that's uh... I was once again stuck in a theater with nerds that were excited to be there. And I just couldn't get up and leave because they were my ride. And at the end, I was just like, oh, my God, that was so bad. And they're like, what are you talking about? It was so good. I'm like, (laughs) were we watching the same movie? And actually, somebody ended up not being friends with me again after that, because I thought Van Helsing was so bad. (laughs) Hey, listen, if they're willing to cut ties over (laughs) Over a Hugh Jackson movie, then uh, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackson. (laughs) Then, you know, it's probably for the best. Probably not a very good friend in the first place if my opinion that, you know, Van Helsing was dog shit is going to ruin our friendship anyway. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about Q Who, which is the 16th episode of the second season. It first aired on the 8th of May, 1989. It was written by Morley's Hurley and directed by Rob Bowman. This is a, a major episode. It was really big. Yeah, I was kind of mad at myself that or kind of mad at Paramount Plus, to be honest, because they they ruined the Borg thing for me in the description yeah. while I was waiting for it to load. I was kind of pissed off. I was like, oh, apparently this isn't going to just be a Q episode. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't want to tell you about the Borg stuff, but that that is disappointing that they told it. But I mean, it is kind of like if you're trying to remember, oh, I don't remember which episode does the Borg first show up. It kind of makes sense to have it in the description. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, you know how I make, you know, kind of sarcastic tongue in cheek notes about what the plot of the episode is. Number right. one says Borg, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And Guinan has a Peter Tingle. That's my other plot point. And then I stopped writing plot points. <laughs> this is why I let you handle the plot. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the main bits of it, uh, they introduce a new character in uh, in this episode. And Sonia. She's a- Sonia Gomez. And she's also in the next episode, uh, Samaritan Snare. Um, I-, I remember a couple episodes back, I mentioned how they were looking to create a love interest for Jordy that would like he would decide to go and and try and get his his uh, eyes repaired so that he could see her for real. This is right. the character that they were intending that for, but she's very goofy. She's so goofy. Um she's so goofy and he's so rude to her, so I I'm glad they don't end up getting together. Yeah, they they decided okay, this isn't going to work out. So uh she was originally supposed to be in for three episodes and the third episode would be the one where they fall in love and he gets his eye surgery, but they decided okay, we're not going with they that. They cut one. That. So, she, so she's gone now after these two episodes. She's just in these two episodes. Although they do bring her character back in lower decks. They so oh. and she's like a captain now. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> so uh she is played by uh, Lycia Naff. I think that's how her name is pronounced. But uh, she's actually, uh, I know that you've seen her before. She's famous. And but before I say this, I'm going to preface it. You're going to think that I'm being objectifying, but it's going to make sense. Okay. Um, you've seen her boobs. Have I? <laughs> and it's important that I say that. It's, it's not objectifying. This is like one of the most famous boob shots in film history. Is it Romeo and Juliet? No. Oh, okay. You know the one I'm talking about, though, the 1970s one with the boobs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. She's, she would be too young for that. No. Um, you've seen all three of her boobs. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> from, not, from um, the Total Mars recall. movie. Total Recall. Yeah, I was trying to, my brain was like, running man, running man, running man. Yeah. Oh, so she is the prostitute with the three breasts. With Interesting. The three breasts. Yeah, and I, she must have filmed, because that movie came out in 1990, and this is 89, so they so must have like, filmed pretty rough. close together, yeah. That's great, yeah. That's so funny. No, I, I knew her face seemed familiar, and mm-hmm. I wondered if it was just because it was a guest actor that had a few lines rather than just being in the background or a main plot point but i did realize about halfway through this episode she was probably the girl you were talking about with the romance subplot but i know you haven't seen all of the office but it reminded me of the time that they all go out to i'm just going to tell this really quickly they go out Mm -hmm. to a bar after work and Pam invites a friend of hers to try to set up with Michael Scott. And when Michael Scott realizes he's on a date, he turns into date Mike and he's like, date Mike. Nice to meet me. (laughs) He like puts on a (laughs) Kangle hat and he's real dick. Um, That's sort of what Jordy did here. I was like, what is going on with Jordy? Like, cause he's like, he's like talking down to her, like being kind of rude. And then he's like, well, come on, little lady, I'll take you out to 10 forward. (laughs) And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Like, why would she go to 10 forward after you? Also, aren't you her like commanding officer yeah I mean, <laughs> he's her superior officer my notes say jordy's about to get me too like, <laughs> like what is going on here and like that thing where he's like we're not nice to the computers i'm like your best friend is an android <laughs> yeah that was a little and she was just like look there's artificial intelligence running all through this thing we, we might as well treat it a little nicely she see 
when when the uh, when the singularity happens, Gomez will be spared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really wanted to like her, too, because I actually kind of liked that she had this like plucky kind of attitude that you don't see a lot on Star Star ships i was like oh she's different and then they're all like super rude to her and then she inappropriately touches picard a bunch and then q inappropriately touches picard i'm like why is everybody touching picard so much (laughs) q in this episode does a lot of just like uh zero uh uh, personal bubble like just no space whatsoever and he's like always just in picard's ear like basically touching it with his lips i know it's so uncomfortable um i think one of my favorite parts of the date though that they have that sonia and um jordy have is that in the middle of it guinan walks over and has a moment and she's like staring out the window and she has a peter tingle or whatever you want to call it and Sonia's sitting there trying to listen to what Jordy's saying, and he's basically like, shh, little lady, Guinan's looking out the window. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, the whole thing was weird. But anyway, Guinan is really old. Very excited about that. Guinan's very old. (laughs) Q actually steals Picard off the Enterprise, and like nobody notices at first, but Guinan is like, ooh, something's wrong here. And then Deanna's like, hey, where's Picard? And then they're like, oh, wow, we uh, he's not on the ship. So they start doing a search pattern because they notice there's a shuttlecraft missing, too. Right. He's got Picard on that shuttlecraft. But he's somehow hiding him. Right. That was what I assumed was happening because they're like, we can't find the shuttle. So Q must have somehow been hiding them. Well, he might have just taken the ship far enough away that it was outside of their search radius. Mm. Uh, Picard is just sitting there like because q wants wants him for something and picard's like i'm not playing your games and he's like well the ship's gonna miss you he's like oh they'll continue on with riker as captain <laughs> he's like <laughs> wow you really you, you're really stubborn on this one aren't you but then eventually he goes and uh takes him back to the ship and uh it, t- it takes him into 10 forward and then like guinan sees q and then q sees guinan and like they put up their hands at each other like they're about like to shoot she's force, gonna light- force lightning i know what was that can guinan force lightning <laughs> we don't know it's that's like a mystery we we never find out what their backstory is between guinan and q um actually because both q and guinan are in the current season of star trek picard I'm kind of hoping to answer that. Yeah, because she put her hands up and I was like, does she have magic? Like, yeah, it's <laughs> like, a good what question. is she doing? <laughs> Especially because like in, in season two of Picard, it's like a, a time travel uh, uh, plot. So we actually right. meet Guinan in the past. So oh. I'm hoping this is going to set it up because Q's the main villain that this season. And so, yeah, I really hope that they inter- encounter each other and they explain it. Me too. I do too. Because when she put her hands up, I was like, ooh, lightning from my hands. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh no, wait, why, why would she have lightning from her hands? And then Q is like, oh, she's something you don't even know. And I was like, oh wait, I haven't even thought about the fact that Guinan might not be human. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think this is the first episode that establishes she's not human. I mean, they've always been kind of vague about her. Like, you know, Wesley said, well, I've heard that you've known the captain forever and that you're very old and, you know, stuff like that. Right. But very old to a teenager could be 50. Like, you don't know what that actually means until you're in in, um, context, right? And now we know she's because they said several centuries ago. Yes. And Q says he's there because he's been kicked out of the Q continuum and he's looking for a place to hang out and he offers his services as a member of the crew and Picard's like there's there's no chance that's going to happen we don't trust you it's not that you aren't you know fascinating to us I do want to know more about you 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 are our charge 
but we can't just trust you to be a member of the ship. And then he's like, well, what if I show you what you'd be, uh, what you're uh, going to encounter and why you need me? And he, with a snap of his fingers, sends them all the way into the Delta Quadrant, right into the path of a Borg cube. Giant Borg cube. Yes. Giant <laughs> Borg cube. But actually, before they find the cube, they like scan the planet and they find there's a series of roads. But where all the cities are, they've just been scooped up like we've seen before in in the neutral zone. They mentioned that. Yeah. So it looks like even though this is the first uh, direct encounter with the Borg, it looks like the Borg have actually been snooping around at the edge of uh, Federation space. Yep. And, you know, they encounter it and Guinan says, "Okay." You need to run away right now. These people, the Borg destroyed my people. They destroyed my planet, spread us to the cosmos. Uh, They're relentless and they're just, they're not interested in you. They just want your technology, but they're they're dangerous and you are not ready for them. Instead of heeding uh, her advice to just turning tail and running, Picard's like, no, I want to investigate. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, let's go. (laughs) And um, they, they do a really good job just selling how creepy and alien the Borg are. They did. Yeah, because, you know, I've seen Voyager, so I've seen Seven of Nine. She's my biggest, like, you know, connection to the Borg. So I've seen Borg episodes there, and they were way more creepy in this than they have been in other things that I've seen, like just showing up and just, like, ignoring them as they walk by and being covered in, like, the tubes and stuff from head to toe. Oh, but the baby Borg was so cute. (laughs) That was cute, but it was also very creepy. It's like, oh, God. I know. I know. It was so cute, though. I was like, okay, what was it that I... Oh, I was going to ask, because in all of my Borg knowledge, I thought they just assimilated humans. So where do the the babies come from? So um, at this point, they hadn't established that yet, that that becomes a part of their uh design later like with uh, um uh in, in like the 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 best of both worlds is when they start uh, establishing that but oh, hey that's what our show's named after that's right <laughs> for now um i think the idea was just that they are one species but they have fully cyberneticized themselves so they i i guess at this point they would consider that they do reproduce sexually or maybe they just grow the babies uh like the matrix to- yeah, it yeah. could be like the Matrix. So so I think, yeah, the idea was at that point that they were just a single species. And then the idea that they can incorporate other species it gets introduced later. I do like that all in all in the end that Picard has to get Q to help them because they can't help themselves after they've tried a few things. And he basically gets Q to help them by saying, if we all die here now, you won't be able to gloat. And I just thought that was <laughs> such a good way of getting Q to help them, you know. And, and also, like, he, he like, waited until... Um, uh, Picard said, you want me to say that I need you? I need you, Q. And I'm just like, oh, a thousand ships just launched. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I saw that as like, oh, the way he says it, too, because he says it was so passionate. He's like, I need you. <laughs> you know? like, and that scene, know. too, like Q, he keeps like uh, jumping around the the the, uh, the bridge. But every time he does, he like swaps place with somebody. And so like he's just been leaning on like the side of the the the, the horseshoe that goes behind, uh you know, Picard's seat. But right. then he like jumps over to where Data's sitting and then it cuts and like Data's now leaning on the horseshoe and he's like, oh, whoa, and he like gets up. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was great, too. I always I mean, I understand now because this is my third or fourth Q episode why people Uh like Q so much because he adds an interesting element of like it's that tricksiness. Yeah, Yeah. he's a a trickster god. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Loki. And why do we love Loki? Because he causes mischief, you know, 
God, could you imagine a Loki Q crossover? Oh, no, I can't, but I bet the <laughs> internet be has. Wild. Yeah. That would be wild. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Star Trek establishes that Q was Loki or something. Cause, like, oh, you know. wouldn't that be? I know, like, well, you guys have heard of the god Loki. Of course that's Q, you know? I mean, <laughs> Star Trek does have, uh, like, it already has established that some of the gods that humans worshipped in the past were actually aliens, like... Uh, the Greek pantheon. We we meet Apollo in the original series. He's just oh, interesting. Yeah, so you know we have precedent for it. We do have a lot of you know godlike energy beings out there in the universe. So, so do the Borg ships always regenerate that way, or was this an early? We don't quite know how the Borg are going to work. They always can just like pop out their own dents like that. Um, so I don't know that we see the way that they regenerate like that again. Um, that was actually a really cool effect that they did. I thought so. I, yeah, I think what they did is it's a plastic model and they uh, took a heat gun to it and then reversed the footage. Oh, so, that makes sense. Yeah, because it looked like it was plastic melting. Uh, so I think that's that's how they did it. And also, did you catch that the Borg are end beasts? <laughs> yes, uh, uh, I did. Uh, Q, Q said neither male nor female. Um, yeah, the, I wrote it down. Interesting, isn't it? Not a he, not a she, not like yeah. anything you've ever seen an enhanced mm-hmm. humanoid. And I was like, that's how I'm going to refer to my NB friends. An advanced an humanoid. An enhanced humanoid. An enhanced humanoid, yes. <laughs> well, one thing I noticed uh, in this rewatch that I hadn't picked up on before is that they don't, like, pick up the Borg as life forms. I assume they modify That's their senses. That's a question I have here. In the yeah. future uh to to accommodate for it because they even mentioned once they're on the borg cube they're like oh well that's why we didn't pick it up because once they're like in their uh alcoves uh they don't register as an individual life form they they are just part of the hive i recognize the alcoves though because of seven of nine because of seven of nine that's because right she's yeah. got hers and with the like spencer's thing above her head you know yes. the, that they used to have in the 90s and all the spencer's i always um, wanted to buy one specifically because i was like oh that's the thing on the borg ships that's the only reason i've ever wanted one either and i didn't even barely care about star trek <laughs> <laughs> But I remember seeing them and being like, oh, that's where Seven of Nine sleeps. How did they? So they were just able to to beam over because all of a sudden they're like, oh, we have an intruder. But was that because their shields were down when the Borg beamed over or when they beamed over to the Borg? When the Borg beamed over. Well, they actually had their shields up. They mentioned that they had their shields. up. How'd the Borg get in then? Did they just not explain it? They didn't explain it, but it must just have been that the Borg transporters are able to bypass uh, Federation shields. And I I like how you've got the escalation of every time they do something, they do something against the Borg. Like they, it doesn't work the second time. Like they kill the first drone. Like doomsday. Yeah. And then the second drone shows up and they use the, the phaser on him and he just automatically has a shield that just blocks it. And it's it's a very creepy and very like, oh, God, how are we going to how are we going to beat them? And yeah. in, in this episode, they don't beat them. They turn tail and run. And only with uh, Q's help are they able to get home safely. Which is what the whole point for Q showing up and doing that to them is he wants them to feel yeah. inferior. Um, and it's a good setup for, OK, this is a villain that they don't know how to beat yet. They only were able to with Q's help. And Q's not going to be there next time. So uh, what are they going to do when the Borg show up? Good question. I'm sure that we will see the answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so uh, I think my favorite moment, I was actually writing a note. Um, I had to, I was looking down and writing something and I hear assembled an away team. And then I hear a female voice go, what? And I was like, Leia. <laughs> I looked up no, and I Guinan. had to rewind it to see if it was Guinan or Deanna. I didn't know which one it was because <laughs> I had missed it. But yeah, it was Guinan. And I thought it would have been a good time for her to maybe explain a little bit about the Borg. But she just was kind of like, uh, they're my sworn enemy, but I'm going to keep my secrets. You guys have fun. <laughs> well, keep in mind, she her information is more than theirs, but it's probably a little limited even then, because she said she wasn't there when the Borg attacked. So. Uh, That's all the information true. she has a second hand from from others of her species. And then they get the away team together and it's my favorite away team, which I refer to them as the boy band is Riker, Worf and Data. <laughs> That's my favorite away team now. It's a, it's a good away team. <laughs> um, and so they go over there and I was just pretty excited to see the Borg ship. I thought once again, like rather than it looking in, like a TOS um, set, it actually looked like something they had created for this show that was more mm-hmm. modern and looked good. And I was pretty excited to see that, you know, not a lot of a lot of recycled parts and stuff, because this is a totally brand new enemy. Yeah, um, I love the design of, of the Borg ships that just. The, the the vast open uh, chasms of it with all the, the interconnecting beams and they they did a really good job of like mixing the uh, the actual set with like the matte painting and everything to give you they that did. sense of scale. And especially the part where they're standing at the sleeping pod things and I when when Data put himself into the pod, I thought he was gonna bark himself. I'm like, <laughs> You can't stand in that, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you are you are technology. But then when they pull back, it was very much that like matrix moment of, oh, uh-huh. there's a lot of these, you know. <laughs> and I loved it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was such a great design. And I assume we're gonna see the Borg a lot more throughout next generation, right? Yeah. Because I know they're in Voyager a lot. Um, the, but- um- the Borg show up the most in Voyager of, in of Voyager? any of the shows. But okay. uh, yeah, we, we will get them several more times in this series, yes. I think it's an interesting enemy because it's technology-based, whereas like the Romulans and the Klingons are more clan-based, like mm-hmm. more um, war-based. And you can the- understand the Klingons and the Romulans. They have... Uh, they're, they're warlike, but... They still have a very similar, uh, you know, mind to a human. Whereas uh, the Borgs are so alien, you can't relate to them at all. Yeah, you know, they like they're always going to be the the enemy because we're never going to understand them. Right. Mm-hmm. So at least that's what it feels like. Yeah. And later they add the Borg queen in to try and, you know, have like a give, give like a personal face to it. But I, I kind of th- feel like the Borg queen was a mistake because it robs the the hive mind feel of of the Borg. Um, mm-hmm. when you give it a face and when she seems like she actually has control over the collective instead of just being like a part of the collective a part yeah. that they've picked that, that will communicate directly with others. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that as much because it, yeah, it, it, then it feels like, oh, well it's just the queen and her army instead of, they the always do that. Mind. I wonder if that's a human thing to do because they did that with the Daleks too. They gave uh-huh. us a leader, you know, when they were just a hive mind, like maybe they think, well, humans aren't going to relate enough to these characters. If we don't give them one specific leader that they can relate to. What it was feels the like a writing Dalek crutch. one like, Dav Davros or something Davros, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it just, I never really liked those stories either. Just make the Daleks, the Daleks make the Borg, the Borg, you know, but I guess I'll have more opinions on whether I like the Borg queen once we get there. 
So I think we're ready to move on to the next episode. Samaritan Snare is the 17th episode of the second season. It first starred on the 15th of May, 1989. It was written by Robert L. McCullough and directed by Les Landau. We actually get uh, some good quality time between Wesley and Picard in this one. We do. That was probably the best part of the episode. I loved it. Yeah, Picard has to go get uh, his artificial heart replaced. And he doesn't want to do it on the ship because he doesn't want the crew to know that he's got one. He's So like, I, the whole time I, I read my notes say for the first half of the episode, why is he so embarrassed to have a colonoscopy? Everybody has to have them. <laughs> I was like, what is he so embarrassed about? Because you don't find out till like halfway through the episode yeah. what his his actual like they you do hear Pulaski at the beginning say something about, well, we could just replace it right here. And I'm like. Okay, what is she talking about? And then he's like, well, I just don't want anybody to know. And it reminded me of my dad having to have a colonoscopy or whatever, you know. (laughs) Picard's got some ego issues. He does. He's going to uh, a station to have it done so that uh, the crew doesn't have to know about it. But it's also a station where Wesley's going to take an academy exam. And so they take a shuttle ride there together while the Enterprise goes and does its other stuff. And... uh, you know, Picard is very standoffish at first and he just wants to read his book and 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 but Wesley keeps probing. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, you know, Wesley does a good job kind of like getting past Picard's defenses because he even asks, you know, because he, he says he's like, look, I, I know why you don't like me. And Picard's like, what? That's not true. I like you. And, and he's like, look, everyone it's knows well known you you're a dick to kids. Yeah. <laughs> everyone knows you hate kids. And I think it's a shame because I think you'd be a good father. And, and when he says that Picard like gets up and goes to like another chair and then and he's like, well, did, did you ever wish you had kids? And Picard says, wishing for a thing does not make it happen, which means he did. Mm-hmm. But it's because he was a career Starfleet officer. He, You know, when you've got I mean, obviously, there are Starfleet officers with families. But when you're as ambitious, like when you want the captain's chair, there are certain things that you have to right. put on the back burner. For, for, for a hot minute, I thought the heart he was going to have was Wesley's dad's. <laughs> <laughs> really? for a hot minute because he didn't want to tell Wesley he was so embarrassed about it and then he says something about his heart and something about how, you know the heart that he has inside of him or something and I was like oh no what if it's what if it's Jack Crusher's heart that would have been <laughs> wild wow I know I know but that was, then I was like no then he starts telling the story about, about how he was a egotistical male which yep. apparently he's never learned this lesson and he got himself stabbed in the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he started a bar fight with a couple of Nausicans who, as we will, we'll meet Nausicans later in the show and they look like Predator from the Predator oh, movies. Interesting. They're all like seven feet and, and uh, uh, yeah, you don't want to pick a fight with them. And he picked a fight with three of them. <laughs> so he said that in Star Trek, there was a 2.4 percent chance of him dying during the thing. So I did a little research mm-hmm. right now. If you get a heart transplant in America, you have a 15 to 20 percent chance to die within the first year. And then a 4% chance for the next 18 years. So that's way, way better than we have now and probably massively better than it was in 1989. You know, there's um, there's an advantage to the artificial heart that he has in that he doesn't have to take immunosuppressants because, yeah, it wouldn't have like a foreign DNA, something for them to attack and like to reject. Yeah, that makes sense. And it probably uses some, you know, uh. Some bio non-reactant material like titanium. We, we, you know, we put titanium in people all the time because the body doesn't attack it. So it's probably something like that. So that 
reduces the risks a lot too. But uh, right, when he does sense. go uh, and and get the uh, the the heart transplant, there you know uh, is complications. So he was like, oh, he's riding that two point four percent there. He is, and two point four is not nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the main plot, I guess, because that's the B plot. The main plot, the main, I think. I mean, I don't know. Is the is the Picard thing or the Geordi thing the main plot? They cut. They they switched back and forth between them really fast a lot this episode compared uh-huh. to other episodes. So I was having a hard time figuring out which one was supposed to be the main plot. They kind of had equal weight, but the the name of the episode is Samaritan Snare. So I would say so Jordy. that the Jordy plot is the main one where the Enterprise, as soon as Picard and Wesley go off to the Starbase, they get a uh, distress call and they go and find a ship that seems like the systems aren't working quite right. And they hail the crew uh, who are called the Packlids. And mm-hmm. they're very dumb. They don't seem like they know how their ship is working. And they're like, we we just, our ship broke. We just, we need it. Make go. Make yeah. go. We're looking for things that make us go. And like, it seems like that's about all they're capable of saying. And so they're like, well, we could send Jordy over. And Worf's like, hey, what what are you doing? We can't just send our chief engineer. And once again, Worf was right. If, Worf, <laughs> if people listen to Worf, so many of these episodes wouldn't happen because he's he's a security officer and he knows his stuff. And like, he's like, maybe we shouldn't send the chief engineer over. And then at the end, when they're like, huh, what are we going to do? I, th- I my, my notes say stairs and Worf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and so they beam Jordy over to and Jordy's like, well, actually, it looks like your repairs are going to be pretty simple. I'll get you up and going in no time. But then like back on the ship, uh, Troy comes on the bridge and she's like, why is Jordy over there? What have you done? Why would you send somebody over there? And they're like, well, they're just and for some know, reason, Riker decides to forget she's empathic and fight her. I was like, what? What? Like yeah, she's, he- she's like, they are not helpless. They they are completely deceptive. And it turns out that they play stupider than they are because they are trying to trick people into giving them better technology um right. half their ship is made of components from other civilizations uh so they they brought uh Jordy, uh on board so that they could hold him hostage so that he could uh increase their weapon systems and stuff like that and so they're kind of in a standoff situation because every time Jordy like refuses to do something for them they phaser him and uh the enterprise can't fire without risking blowing up Jordy. so <laughs> you know um Eventually, they come up with a uh, a solution where they take advantage of the stupidity of the Packleds by basically telling Jordy like what their plan is going to be and giving him like a countdown of okay, you need to disable the weapons. At I shall this personally point. miss you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other one that he said that was something like "I shall miss you" in the weapon systems analyst? Analyzation or something, and I was yeah, like, but like they, they, they were talking about a job position that he doesn't have on the ship, and he realizes, oh, okay, they're sending me a message, and right then they're then uh, Riker just, just tells the pack of the ship, well, uh, we're just gonna go ahead and destroy you and Jordy then, and Jordy's like, what? I can't believe they'd sell me out. I'm on your side now, guys. Let me get access to the weapon systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it was so it was pretty funny, like to watch happen, but I was so glad that Jordy picked up what they were laying down because i wasn't 100 sure he was at first mm-hmm. <laughs> but he did and he saved himself and it was good and i liked it as a geordie episode i really did because he was just trying to be a happy-go-lucky like let them 
you know, help out these people. You know, if we forget that first part where I thought he was kind of rude to Sonia in the first episode, but she's right. also in this episode and she he's way less rude to her, you know? So I don't know. I liked it as a Jordy episode. Yeah, and she helps, like, you know, do the, the, the rescue operation with him. Um, what did you think of the Pacleds? Uh... I don't know. At first, my notes say, wouldn't the translator translate? Because it felt like they had more language and they were choosing to speak stupid. And then I realized that was actually the plot. But Uh I don't know. I didn't like. Are you asking me how I liked the design? Because I thought the design was kind of lazy, but it reminded me of the like pigmen cop guys from Duke Nukem. (laughs) Um, But that's that's I mean, I don't know. I didn't really have an opinion on them. So um, they're kind of like famous for you know how goofy and stupid they are and uh because but with like you know they they still have that like sinister edge uh to them on top of that and because of that lower decks actually has them as like the main villains of the show oh interesting because it's a comedy show and so it's great for them to you know they're a comedic species uh but they're also a villain so it works out pretty well but there's like so they've developed more of the Paclid society there, and like we find out that the Paclid's homeworld is called Paclid Planet. Oh no! And they, they just like <laughs> they're they're very dumb. Like there's like an episode where we actually like uh, part of it takes place on a Paclid ship, and uh-huh. everything there is just like a very simplified form of what you would see on other ships. So like when something goes on, when you would normally hear red alert, but there it goes red alarm, red alarm, <laughs> red alarm. I love it. I'm gonna start saying that red alarm. Alarm. <laughs> but actually, the first time the Packlets show up in Lower Decks, they're actually really scary. Um, oh. It's like, oh, God, people haven't been paying attention to them and they've just been amassing more technology in all this time. Uh Oh, oh yeah. Since like this time we met them in Next Generation, because we're yeah. in the Star Trek timeline. We're way far ahead now from Next Generation. Right. Do you know how many years? Um, well, Lower Decks, I think, takes place right after Nemesis is over. So that's probably okay. about uh, 15 years from now. I, I enjoy the Paclids on, on Lower Decks and, and it's fun to see them here and just see them as like, we need your help to make us go. We need to find things. <laughs> Our ship broke. We are smart. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because that makes me want to watch Lower Decks just a little bit more. But I'm figuring uh-huh. Lower Decks is the kind of thing I should watch when I'm done doing my Star Trek watching because there's so many little references like that. That'll make more sense once I've seen it. Lower Decks is a uh, hardcore Trekkies show. Half of the jokes in the first season you won't even get unless you've seen basically all of Star Trek. Like they, they go for really deep cuts. And so, I mean, it's a funny show just in general, but it's not something that I would really recommend to a newcomer to Star Trek. So yeah, that you, makes should sense. Probably, yeah. you should wait until you've got a couple series under your belt. So I think this is the episode in which the writers dared to ask the question, will people like Pulaski if she saves Picard? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was such a weird, all of a sudden at the end, they're like, this man is dying. And then the other guy goes, oh, I know somebody that can save him. And I was like, who? And then I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I was like, it's like, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? The dramatic irony of she's the only person in the entire galaxy, especially because at the beginning we said if we go to that distress call or whatever it is they were going to do, that'll put us really far away from Starbase 515. I just was like, this is such dramatic irony. And so it felt like they were just really trying to force us into like, look, Pulaski put herself in a dumb outfit and saved Picard. Do you like her now? You know, scrubs are so weird. 
weird. I hated them. I don't know. It, it, they <laughs> they look reminded me of like religious robes. Like, like a like a monk's habit almost. Yeah, like um, inquisitor, like uh, or um, those cat nurse ladies in Doctor Who. So uh-huh. I guess those those are also nun habits of yeah. some sort. So it was like halfway between scrubs and a nun's habit, but it was blood red in a surgery room that doesn't yeah. inspire a lot of courage. <laughs> you, and you wouldn't want something red because if you, if something is bleeding, uh, the, and like you, you're, you, and like, it just gets on your clothes, but you don't notice it otherwise. Well, if you look down, you're not going to see the blood that right. you should, you, that, that there's a reason that scrubs are the color that they are. If you get any bodily fluids on you, you should be able to immediately recognize it. That's why Deadpool suit is red. <laughs> <laughs> And, that's and one why of he my wore favorite brown pants. I was just going to make the brown pants joke. <laughs> I love the brown <laughs> pants joke because he's like, he should have worn his brown pants. Yeah. <laughs> but because, you know, it's just like Wolverine. It hurts every time or I feel it every time or whatever. He just yeah. bleeds out on his red outfit. But that's the for my first thought was you don't wear red in a hospital like a, in a in a surgery you need to see if there's blood getting places this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen but and then i saw their faces in the outfit and i was like oh it got worse (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm surprised pulaski agreed to wear that thing (laughs) she did not look good in it it was terrible i'm trying to think if they ever update those scrubs i i remember like on deep space nine that bashir wears something similar to that at some point but um it's not it a would good make sense that they would go back and look at other times they've had scrubs and be like, yeah. okay, yeah, let's use this or whatever. But it's not a good design. It's not a good color. If they had stuck with the standard, you know, like the, the, the blues and the greens that we usually see scrubs in, that would be better. I think so, too, because it was so jarring, you know, and that was those seemed to be a lot of doctors and people in that room for not a single one of them being able to fix Picard. Like, if it's such a routine surgery, it just didn't make any sense that they had to send for this one person that could save the day. I think it was because it was a rare complication. There was a lot of techno babble in that one. And usually when there's techno babble, it's about like ship systems. And there's usually at least. But this some... was medical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the ship systems, there's usually at least they've got some like established uh, lore about how the ship works. And so they can be a little consistent there. At least in TNG. Once they get to Voyager, all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, with the medical stuff, I was just looking like, yes, uh-huh, okay. Uh, I, I'm I'm judging by the tone of your voice that things are going bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the um, with Wesley, so the test that he was doing is the test he failed last time when he was with the ben- Benzite guy. Is that the same test that he was doing this time? I don't think it was. Um, okay. I, I don't think it was uh, an entrance exam because they even said that like uh, it counted as academy credit or something. So I think yeah, it's, it's just- work credit. We do that at my high school too. <laughs> I laughed about that because I was like, oh, he's getting credit for doing his job just like we do at our school. <laughs> so you think it was just other like check-in tests? So, but did he get into the academy? With- um, well, he's not in the academy, uh, but he does okay. have like credits that can go toward it. Um, uh, he he joined. He ends up going to the academy in season four. Uh, that's okay. when he leaves the show. 
Um, but you know, I think it's it, it may have been like to see. Uh, oh, are you gonna uh, join this year? But then they didn't address like he's like, oh, well, I didn't make it this year or anything like that. It was no, they just, said that he did successfully enough that he can continue to do his studies aboard the Enterprise or something like that. So I was like, okay, yeah. so is he already a part of the? Game? It was confusing, but maybe it was just a uh, let's check in on your progress and let's see if you're ready yet. And yeah. Um, well, I mean, the real the real point was to have him in the shuttle with Picard so right, that him and obviously. Picard could have their, you know, bonding moment. Their little heart to artificial heart. Heart to artificial heart. Exactly. Um, you know, I always wanted to know what it was like to be stabbed, actually. Uh-huh. Um, I used to run around when I was like eight or nine years old and ask people to shoot me. My mom told me to stop <laughs> asking people to do that. And she's, and she's like, why do you want people to shoot you? And I'm like, because I want to know what it feels like. It won't kill me if they just shoot me in the arm. I mean, anyway, this is why could. kids. You've... This is why kids shouldn't have guns, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> if I had ever found a kid with a gun, I'm sure they would have been like, "Yeah, absolutely, get over here, hold your arm up." <laughs> <laughs> and they'd probably hit you right in the artery too, just with your luck. I know, just with my luck, and then I'd be like, "Ah, oh, well, that's what that hurts. It feels like." <laughs> oh, there was one line with uh, Wesley and uh, Picard when Picard's talking about how he got the uh, the uh, the heart injury in the first place. And uh, he because he mentioned he was on like some star base that was just like a little outpost in those days. And then Wesley's like, oh, was this before the Klingons joined the Federation? And Picard's like, yes. And then I'm like, the Klingons haven't joined the Federation. Oh, that's like, right. No, they're, they're allies of the Federation, but they are still very much their own thing. And that's true. Yeah, I don't maybe it just wasn't. Um, and, and I think maybe with the other times we've seen the, the Klingons, it hasn't been clear also we had that one episode where we actually saw the federation flag on the klingon ship so maybe it was at first that they had plans that the klingons were part of the federation but they just didn't do starfleet they just had their own defense force still right but i I, then later they decide okay no the klingons they're they're allies but they have not joined the federation they're their own thing So at this point, though, they probably assumed that they were going to join the Federation. Yeah. When they were describing that, I definitely, definitely was picturing the cantina from Star Wars. (laughs) 100%. Because they said galactic riffraff and like going into this like seedy out of the way, like tavern or whatever. And I was like, on Tatooine? (laughs) So I desperately wanted it to be Tatooine, but obviously it's probably not. But the way even describing it as galactic riffraff made me go, hmm. It's, it's very funny that you say that. Um, we actually do get to see this scene in a future episode. We do a flashback to it. <gasps> do we? Oh, that's so cool. It's it's yeah. not it's not quite the cantina, but it is like, you know, like, you know, a, a bar type area with, you know, multiple alien species and, and stuff like that. And so we get to see the Nausicans, we get to see Picard stabbed and all that. So it's uh, yeah, uh, we, we get to we get to revisit that. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I love when they do that. And I and, and I mean, even with in the first episode in Q2, they he says, I told you never to come back here. And he's like, I took you to this shuttle. See, I didn't come back to the Enterprise. <laughs> and I like those little bits of consistency. You know, mm-hmm. it makes me have a little bit more faith in the writers, you know, because sometimes I wonder what they're doing. But other times I'm like, OK, they're aware of what they're doing. You know, well, and they when uh, the couple episodes when Riker was cooking the shitty eggs, he mentioned how his mom died young and he did all the cooking because his dad never did. And so the, and then, then like a couple episodes later, then we go and, and meet his dad and they, they keep that story. So it's, they it's do. Good that, yeah. And the Borg scooping people up in the neutral zone, too. Like, mm-hmm. so I love 
that type of consistency even in an episodic show. Yet they can't figure out if the Klingons in the, are in the Federation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.